Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. See, we, we get to jump into the middle of, of our core values. The middle's important, right? Like, the middle's significant. We were doing a talk in our staff meeting this week, and so we're going through leadership principles right now, some principles that, that we've built Journey Church around and that uh, me and my wife try to live, live with, and so we want to pass those on to, to, our, to our staff members. And so one of our leadership principles is, is don't let success go to your head or handle success correctly. There's nothing worse than mishandled success. You ever see somebody fall, they're doing super well, and they, they, they fail when, they're, when, they, when you're like, how can you fail? Your life is successful. Nothing ruins faster than success. Right, and so we talked about success. A couple principles: like right? keep your head down, keep keep your heart humble, keep your hands busy. Like do do things for the Lord that you're not worried about other people, other people even seeing. Right? Don't worry about the outcome. Let God handle that. Let's just keep our head down, keep our heart humble, and keep our hands moving diligently. And then in the last point, we talked about pride. Right, and we noticed in in pride. The middle, the middle letter of pride, if you, do, if, you, if you write out P-R, what is it? Everybody tell me. It's I, D-E. You, you, you become prideful when you put I and not him in the middle of your life. When you begin to make, make it about you, what, what, what God's doing in you, how people can see you. Look what I've done. And then Elliot said, uh, he, he, he has a, he's pretty quick, quick-witted. He said, hey, you know what else? Other words have I in it, right? He said, he said anxiety, the middle word little, uh, of anxiety was I, I was, <laughs> and then I'm a little slower, and I was like, hey, another word that has, has I in it, sin, <laughs> S-I-N, and we started realizing, like, the problem is you, you put yourself in the center of your life, you, you sin, you put yourself in the center of your problems, you have anxiety, some of you struggle with anxiety, I is in the middle of it, because the Bible says you can have the peace that surpasses all understanding, that the Lord is with you, he's both before you and behind you, he'll hem you in, there's no anxiety with the Lord, he's in control. You don't have to experience a life of paralyzed anxiety. You can stand in the peace of God. You got to get I out of the equation. I out of pride. It's the middle. The middle is really important. If you have the wrong middle, everything else is messed up. Easter's coming. How many of you remember when you were a kid getting a huge chocolate bunny? Like a big old chocolate bunny. And you went to break it open. And when you break it open, nothing's in the middle. That's false advertisement. What should be in the middle? Well, some of you will love chocolate. It should be filled with chocolate. The best chocolate should be in the middle. For me, I want peanut butter. I want the whole thing to be creamy, Reese's peanut butter cup peanut butter. Like I was in Costco, they had an egg or a, or, or, or a rabbit, and it was filled on the inside with peanut butter. To me, that's right. If you break it open, there's nothing in there, that's wrong. And this one's significant, because here's the thing. What we do in here, when nobody's watching, uh, all the actions that we take, all the words that we sing, all of the hands that we lift, all of the, the like it means, it doesn't mean a lot if, if when we go out there and, and we're broken open for the world, because when we go out, who we are is on display for the world, the middle of us, what we're all uh, about, right? Our testimony, the Bible says, and if we go out into the world and we're, we're not different, our life looks a lot like everybody else's life. They see us and they, they think to themselves, that's what it looks like to be 
a sold out follower of Jesus Christ, their life is exactly like my life. You ever wonder where the, the term Christian came from? Like, is there a Bible verse where Jesus taught on a, on a mountain somewhere and was like, and then I want, you, I want you to do this, I want you to get baptized, then I want you to refer to yourself as Christian. That's actually not how it happened. In Acts chapter 11, the church was, was, was under persecution, the Bible said. It was good persecution because up until Acts chapter 5, I believe, they had just hung out in Jerusalem, but they were supposed to go to the other ends of the earth. That's the problem with comfort and trying to stay where, where you know, where, where you're easy. Jesus said, go. They decided to stay because they were being successful. The Bible says that Peter preached a message and the Bible says 3,000 people came to faith in one day. So stuff was going well. So like, why would we go over to the people, the Samaritans? We don't even like them. We don't even understand what they're talking about. Let's stay here. But Jesus allowed, God allowed persecution to happen. Stephen gets stoned. The church begins to get persecuted and they are, they are scattered into the world. But what happens is because they stay on mission, they begin to change the world. They end up in an area called Antioch. And uh, the Bible talks about the, the church flourishing there. They make an impact. People are coming to faith. And it's in Antioch that outsiders start referring to the insiders as Christians. It was not the, the church people saying, here's what we want you to call us. Here's how we want you to refer to us. Here's what we want to be. No, here's a title that we want you to say to us. It was the outsiders saying those people's lives are different. When those people show up, stuff looks different. When you work with a Christian, stuff looks different. When you teach a Christian in a class, they're different to teach. When you drive in front of a Christian, they drive differently behind you. When you wait on a Christian, it's a different experience than when you wait on somebody who is just in it for themselves. Here's my question. I wonder what, what, what definitions, what words people use for us when they meet us. I wonder what they say about our church because I don't care. I don't care what they say about us in here. I don't care what we say about each other. I don't care how much we want to puff each other up. What I care about is when we walk out of this door, what type of reaction do people have to our daily lives? Because the Bible says that we are ambassadors for Christ. So if you say, I don't care what people think about me, I'm standing up for God, that's dumb. You should stand up for God but you should also understand that you represent Jesus to this world. You're an ambassador. You know what the word ambassador is? It, it means somebody who was sent to a foreign land to represent a good king. I wonder how many times people come into contact with you and go, I don't want anything to do with Jesus because I don't want anything to do with them. In fact, one quote that has always stuck with me is written by a man named Brendan Manning. Uh, he is the one who interpreted the Message Bible. So if you, if you read the Bible and you, you don't understand the Bible, one of the best uh, rep, uh, representations or interpretations of the Bible is the Message Bible. It's just super easy to read. And so he was kind of a legend, but he had this quote that has always stuck with me through my entire ministry. And here's what he said. He said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians. Who, who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, but they walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That's what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. The greatest cause of atheism is not that you can't prove God exists. There's plenty of proof that Jesus existed. There's plenty of historical accuracy, prophetical proof. It's almost impossible to not believe that Jesus exists. Believe it or not, there's people that actually saw Jesus that still didn't believe he existed. It's not an argument thing. It's not a the theological thing. It's not I got to stand up for truth thing. Oftentimes, it's a life thing. Oftentimes, you're the only Bible anybody will ever see. You're the only Jesus anybody will ever react with. And you're the only church anybody has ever been to. 
See, here's the problem with so many of you. You think when they come here, they're coming to church. But no, no, you are the church. And some people will never step foot through these doors because they've already been to our church because they've been around you. They've worked with you. They've taught you. They've driven with you. They've watched you interact with somebody you don't like. So I want to talk to you about this, this core value. This is the middle of who we are. It's, it's in the middle. It's the third one because it's the most important one because it's how we relate to people that are not yet here. We're going to be a blessing, not a burden. We're going to be a blessing, not a burden. We're going to carry the weight on our shoulders to show this world that our faith is real. And some of you say, I don't like that pressure and I don't want people to watch me. Well, guess what? Too bad. Your faith is not private and personal. The Bible says you're salt of the earth. You're a lighthouse. You, you're, you're, you're a city on a hill that should not be hidden. That if you're not sharing your faith, your faith is kind of worthless. And you've been put in this world to change it. So if you don't like the pressure or you don't like the heat, as they say, get out of the... Because the pressure's on you. It's like, it's like this. When I was in college, uh, I brought with me stuff to college when I was, when I was going, but I, also, I brought my clothes, I brought my, I brought my, my, my blanket to college, I went to Texas, but I also brought this thing called an ab roller. You guys remember those? It's one of the million inventions that's supposed to give you a six-pack. None of them have worked for me. <laughs> and I was religious with the ab roller. Like, I, I was, I, I'm a big advocate of, of, of workout gear, and so, uh, obviously, and so, uh, I'm just playing. <laughs> Joke, just make sure you're with me. And so, so I, at one point I had, I had that, that I, I don't remember what it was called, but it was, it was an ab machine you used to pull it in, like, it looked like Star Wars, right? I don't remember what it was called. It was gray. It had a red little pad, and you would just pull it in like this, and it would, it would just get rid of, of your love handles. It was amazing. Never worked, right? It, it was about as good as the, as the thing in the 50s where the women, you ever see those pictures of the women? They would go in, and they put those bands around them, and they would just shake them like this, and you're like... <laughs> There was actually scientific proof that that thing would work, right? Then they went to Curves, then we went to Planet Fitness and all these areas of our lives. And so we're always seeking to be in shape. So I went down to college, and I got an ab roller. You would lay on this thing, and, you would, and I was a huge advocate of this, huge advocate of the ab roller. I, I would claim to be an ab roller extra, uh, expert in my, in, my, in my dorm, and I would tell people how many ab rolls I would do. I would do 1,000 ab rolls a night. And I remember like it was yesterday. I was, I was, I was like selling these things. Like, this thing's amazing. And so uh, we, we live in a dorm, so we, we you know, walk around and without our shirts on and all this stuff with the, with all these other guys and we're you know throwing balls and this one guy this, this one guy named Chris I remember like it was yesterday he said you're always talking about the ab roller and I said yeah I do a thousand a night he said if you do a thousand ab rollers a night and you're such an advocate he said can I where's your six-pack <laughs> and I got I remember I got offended and then I was like no if you're gonna be that religious about something like if you're gonna sell something if nobody listen nobody trusts an out-of-shape trainer you're a trainer, and you're trying to tell somebody how to get in shape. Nobody trusts a person who does hair, right? A hairdresser, that their hair looks like crap. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you, you, you want to go to somebody and go, man, there. So when you begin to say, I'm an expert in this, or this is what I follow, or here's who I am, then the pressure is on. You can't run from it. You have to embrace it. In other words, here's what I think. I think if we're going to talk about how Jesus changes our lives, then we better have a changed life. Like, I think that, I think if we're going to talk about forgiveness and how forgiving Jesus is, then we better be people of ridiculous grace with our world. If we're going to talk about how Jesus is the Prince of Peace, in 2020, 2021, 2022, whatever's going on in the world, we better be people that live with the peace that surpasses all understanding. If you're talking about how peaceful Jesus is and you're freaking out all the time, right? If you're going to talk about the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross to save your sins, you better be a sacrificial person. I just believe that we should represent our beliefs with our daily life. We're going to be a blessing, 
not, not a burden. So let me just give you some practical ways this looks like, because this one's important. This one's significant. When, when, people, when people interact with us outside of this church, I, I want to know that when they speak and when they, what they see and what they're experiencing, that it looks like Jesus. Amen? I want them to walk away and go, I, I don't know what's different about them, but something's different about them. Right? So let me just give you a couple. Number one is this. What we want people to see in us. Number one, how, this one's important. How high our expectations are for ourselves. How high that our expectations are for ourselves. This is that whole Tobey Maguire Spider-Man circa 2003, something like that. When he started making all these movies and his uncle looks at him and what does he say? He says, he says, he says uh, Spider-Man, whatever your name is, uh, Peter. <laughs> he says, with, with great power comes great responsibility. With, with great power, if the gospel is great, if it's life-changing, if it's forgiving, if it sets you free, if it gives you peace, if it gives you grace, if it heals your marriage, with all that with great power comes great responsibility. Here, here's what I've noticed about church people, and I don't know if you would agree with this or not. We are extremely hard on the world and extremely easy on ourselves. We are extremely hard on people that don't yet know Christ, we're hard on how they believe, we're hard on what they stand for, we're hard on where they're going, we are extremely hard on them, we have high expectations for them, and then you get around church people, and we, we will pat each other's butts <laughs> and never say anything offensive to anyone, Right? Like, you'll be, man, they need to change, and this president's awful, and this political party is awful, and can you believe they're doing this? And then you get in a group with a bunch of men or women, and you're talking about private stuff, and there's one man in the group, and he's been looking at pornography for 17 years. And he stands up in front of the whole room, and, or maybe just you, and says, I'm struggling with pornography, and I'm struggling with pornography, and I'm struggling with pornography, and we'll just go, it's, it's this grace of God, It's fine. I'm yelled at my wife, it's fine. I'm not even, I'm, I mean, there's people in my church that come through this church that I know having affairs on their spouse. And I know there's other people in my church that know as well because I know. And they say nothing. It's like, it's fine. But then you see the post online, you're like, they got, those people, they are the enemy of God. God hates those people. God's against those people. And we are extremely hard on those people. And meanwhile, we're kumbaya with each other. And let me tell you something, I'm not talking about perfection because we are not perfect people. We live in grace, but I am pleading with you that there should be growth in our lives, that we should be growing up. You know, we live in a culture that does not push growth anymore. You see five-year-olds that aren't potty trained. You see 20-year-olds that aren't potty trained, right? <laughs> 30-year-olds don't want to get, like, you, we, we live in a culture with delayed maturity, and, and I'm not going to harp, this is not a parenting series, or here's how you're supposed to do it, but I'm going to talk spiritually. We've allowed that to influence our church. You have people that have come to church for years that should be, the Bible says, eating the meat of the, of the truth of God, yet they still need milk. It's not because they have a lack of information, and it's not because they have a lack of the ability to change through the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, it's because we have a lack of accountability. We don't have a friend that tells us what's up. And then when we do have a friend that tells us what's up, we get mad and they, we say this, you're judging me. You're judging me. Stop judging me. Some of us say that all the time. And I just want to show you the passage where that's going to be the stupidest thing you've ever said. And you're going to stop saying that. Because I want to show you how serious they were with each other. Easy on outside people, 
hard and expect something. We take this serious on the inside. When I come to follow Christ, then there is high expectations of me because I represent Jesus. I represent Jesus. And so Paul, he started a church in a city called Corinth. I love Corinth. And the reason I love Corinth is because pretty much every problem we have in America currently in our culture, they already had. This is just history repeating itself. They had one man sleeping with his, his, his stepmom. Everybody was cool with it. They were celebrating it. I mean, all sorts of disgusting things were happening in this culture. They had gender issues, and they, they, they were all confused, right? In fact, in one part of, of Corinthians, Paul says, listen, let's, let's, just, let's just cease this. Let's just stay as far away from this, this understanding and this struggle with gender. And so, guys, don't grow your hair long. Keep your hair short. Grow a beard. Go out and kill something. Wear flannel. Be a man. Right? And then he looked at the girls and he said, there's all these gender problems and, and girls and, you know, it's confusing. So let's run as far as we Girls wear long hair. It's a crown to yourself and, you know, adorn yourself and look like a girl. And, and, and some people go, is that what we're supposed to do now? And some religious people get ready, really carried away with that. And some dude in here has long hair. And you're like, I'm not listening to you anymore. You just dogged my long hair. Listen, in context, what he was saying is, listen, there's a lot of confusion about gender. So let's just seek to be the men and women that God has called us and created us to be. Let's reflect that. Let's be men and women. And so he's, he's teaching in a culture just like ours. And here's what he says to the church, because in the church, we're going to be hard on our on, our, on others. We're going to be easy on ourselves. You got, you got, you got Bobby sleeping with with. With, with, okay, I, the, the word, the name Karen always comes in my head, and I don't want to say <laughs> Karen, so you say Felicia, right, or something like that. You know, Bobby's sleeping with his, his stepmom, and nobody's even saying anything, and here's, here's what he says, watch this in 1 Corinthians 5, he says, I wrote to you my letter not to associate, associate with sexually immoral people. Let me explain what that means, though. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, greedy, swindlers, idolaters. In that case, You'd have to leave this world, and God has sent you into this world. No, no, no. I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, a Christian, but a sexually immoral, greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler. Don't even eat with these people. What business, business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? I'm not, not going to judge them. They are already going to stand judge before God. No, no. You're supposed to judge those where? Inside. Don't you dare, if you're a Christian, get mad at somebody else who's coming at you and say, stop judging me, because the Bible says they're supposed to. Well, they don't know my, 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 my inside thoughts. The Bible says you'll be proven what's on the inside by your outward fruit. You don't, you don't go take me to your house and say, I got a lemon tree, right, but it has a bunch of apples on it. I'm going to look at you and say, that's an apple tree. You're going to say, you're judging me. I say, no, your fruit, you can pretend. I know what culture we live in. You can pretend that that's a lemon tree if you want, but that's an apple, right? <laughs> so we're going to, listen, we're going to be hard on ourselves. We're going to be easy on outsiders. In other words, I want people to come into contact with us and say, man, I don't really like or even agree with what you believe. But here's what I can appreciate. I can appreciate that you believe in it enough to live and speak uncomfortable truths and live in unwavering faith. Because here's what I know. If that hell you're talking about is as serious as you say it is, then I think you would take your faith serious. We're going to be high expectations. We're going to have high expectations of ourselves. Let me just give you a few more. Number two is important. So we're going to expect a lot from ourselves, but we're going to be graceful with people that are on the outside. We're going to expect a lot from ourselves because Jesus calls us to, but we are going to be ridiculously grace-filled with people who are on the outside, hard on ourselves, 
easy on outsiders. I have, a, I have a son, he's seven now, his name's Harrison, but when he was, I think he was four years old, we asked him to clean his room, which is small expectations for him, right? And so we asked him to go clean his room, and I remember it was getting close to bedtime, and his room was dis- disgusting, and I was like, can you go pick your room up? And in and, and, and our boys' rooms, there's places to put your stuff. One of my greatest fights right now is the hamper with, with, with Harrison. He's seven years old, and he can't figure out how to put his clothes in the hamper because there's a lid. <laughs> so he puts the clothes on top of it, Right? And I was like, all you got to do, I, went, I, mean, I had this whole diagram for him. You just open it up and you put them in. And he told me, I said, he said, if I lift the lid up, I can't hold my clothes at the same time. So I just put them on top. <laughs> so we, we, we're always teaching, right? Like, no, you, you listen, you're going to put your clothes in, lift it up, put them in the hamper and close it, right? Like you can lift it up and let it stay. It's gravity, right? It'll hold it up and then push it back down. It's not going to pull. It's not, we don't live on the moon. It's not going to, well, you know, like we're having this whole, this whole conversation. And so four, four years old, I said, go pick your room up. And he goes up to his room and I hear him picking it up. And, you know, I gave him, gave him a few moments. And then I said, are you ready? He said, I'm in bed. And I came into his room. And I remember it this night. And I said, I said, I looked around. I said, this is, this is completely unacceptable. <laughs> Let me just give you a picture because he has spots to put his, cl- his clothes, his toys, his, his cards, all this stuff, and everything was out everywhere. He had taken cards. He had put them all over his room, stacked up nicely, little men all over his shelves. Everything was just kind of out, stuff on the windows. And I said, this is, this is, not, this is not right. This is not right. I'm, I'm having a conversation with a four-year-old. I'm like, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And he said, my room's picked up. I said, this is not picked up. This is awful, right? And I'm having an argument with a four-year-old, which when you argue with a four-year-old, you always look like a fool. And so I'm arguing. And he said, he said, dad. And I said, what? He said, I decorated. Which when I was, when I was, when I, that's what I thought when I was then. But now that I know his personality, I think he was lying. I think he was manipulating my heartstrings in that moment. And I got mad. I'm like, this is not, he was like, I decorated like you and mom. And I, I was like, this is not decorating, right? This is, this is garbage. Like this is, and then I stepped back and I realized, what am I doing? I'm going to critique the straightness of your cards and the tool and all this stuff. And like the truth is at some point you got to have expectations. This is a four-year-old. This is how four-year-olds decorate. This is how four-year-olds go to the bathroom. This is how four-year-olds put their clothes away. This is how four-year-olds eat. They get stuff on everything. When you tell a four-year-old not to make a mess, that is impossible for them, right? Because you have, you have the right expectations, but when you raise those expectations to the point where they can't do it, frustration sets in. And some of us are super frustrated with the world right now. We want our family, we want our coworkers, we want our bosses, we want those people we work out with, we want those people we interact with that Wawa to be different, but they can't be different because they never met the one who is different but they do meet you. They do interact with you. And here's what I want them to come away saying. Those are some of the most grace-filled, most loving, most kind people that I have ever met. In fact, I noticed this in the life of Christ because he was around people that uh, did not treat him right. In fact, when he died on the cross, he had some last words. And he he said this in Luke 23. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. And I started thinking about, what if you applied that sentence right there to every aspect of your life with people outside the church? What if the next time that you had a family member that couldn't forgive you, that was mad at you, that was angry at you, that has hurt you, that has talked bad about you, that is not yet a follower of Christ, what if instead of getting mad and telling them they should know how to love and they should know how to forgive and they should know how to reconcile, what if you just prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do? 
What if the next time your boss overlooked you for, for a raise or didn't see your potential and was mean to you, instead of you running and saying, I need a different job and I need to be here, I need to do this, what if you just prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what to do? What if the next time somebody walks into Wawa, you hold the door for them and they don't say thank you? Instead of making a comment under your breath, that's what I typically do. And <laughs> or they cut you off in line or they're rude. What if you just prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what to do? What, what if the next time your waiter or waitress gave you really bad service? Instead of you complaining to them, their manager needs to know. Love you, all right? What if you just were really grace-filled in that moment because you don't know what the battle that they're facing? And what if you just prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what to do? You see, we're going to be hard on ourselves, have high, high, high expectations on ourselves, expectations of growth. But we are going to be people of grace with other people. You know what's so, so amazing about that type of lifestyle? The Bible doesn't say that it's, it's your theology, it's your knowledge, it's your church, church attendance, it's your religious actions that lead people to Jesus. You know what the Bible says about how God leads people to repentance? Watch what it says in Romans 2. It says, do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, his forbearance, and his patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead people to repentance? What if you began to understand that it's kindness that leads my family and friends to Jesus? It's patience, it's forbearance, the ability to look, look over things, the ability to not dig into things, the ability to not speak even though you want to, the ability to not stand on the truth and beat somebody up even though you could. What if it was kindness, forbearance, and patience? Let me just give you a few more. Number three is this, is I want, I want, to, I want people to come into contact with you and uh, with us and, and say this, uh, or, or realize this, how much better that we make everything that we touch. This one's important. I want people to, to, to walk away from people that go to this church and go, they just have this knack for making everything better. Think about the life of Jesus. He meets Peter, Peter not catching any fish. Gets in the boat with Peter, they go back out to the same spot that they were fishing before, but now Jesus is in his boat. It's amazing what happens when you get Jesus in your life. Things that were impossible before become easy in your life. Things that you never thought you could do, all of a sudden you're able to do because Jesus is in your life. Jesus is in the boat. Go out to the same spot, puts the net in the same spot, he pulls in so many fish, his boat can't even handle the load. It gets better, right? Way better. Jesus, he's preaching, and a, and a boy shows up with a, with a, with a lunch. There's 5,000 hungry people. He has one little lunch, measly lunch. And Jesus takes it into his hands, prays over it, and multiplies it. And he feeds everybody. That, that lunch gets better. Jesus is at a wedding, his first miracle. They run out of wine. Jesus creates and multiplies and fills uh, these jars up with water and creates, pray, prays and creates the best wine. He makes it better. And one of my prayers for, for our church has been this, this ability uh, to make everything everywhere, everything different and better when we get there. I remember my dad used to preach and he would say to his church, and he would say, uh, if, if our church can be in this town and the only people that care about this church closing is the people in this church, then we need to fix this church. Because this church is not about the church people. What, a, what an amazing goal, right? To say, listen, everywhere we go, when we put our feet in there and we give our effort, when we show up, it's just gonna get better. Like, like think about how, how neat it would be if that became your goal for, for your family. Your child goes to a school. Think about if you have a few kids and there's a teacher, she's been there for 30 years, he's been there for 30 years, and your name starts to be known in the school because you, it's your third child coming through. 
Wouldn't it be neat if that teacher had heard of your, 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 your kids, the older kids, and got excited because the younger one was coming into their class because they know what happens when you show up? Not in a prideful way, but man, these people are easy to teach. They're never going to complain. They're going to take responsibility if their kid's not doing well. They're not going to blame me. I didn't make them. Right? Well, your teachers need to do a better job. Oh, you, maybe you need to read at home with your kid and stop playing Fortnite every day. Maybe spend time with your kid. This teacher do a better job of keeping my kid under control. No, I'm going to take responsibility for my kid. What if you start teaching your kid? When you go into that classroom, it is not just about you getting straight A's and getting into a college, but it is about you being the light. And so when you leave that classroom, you say thank you. You push in chairs. You pick up trash. How exciting would it be for a teacher to say, man, I love having your family in my class because you make everything better. How cool would it be if we walked out of here because we all go eat lunch? And all the local restaurants got excited because Sunday was here. Because they knew Journey Church people were coming. What do Journey Church people do? They tip. They don't complain. Your food gets there a little late than the rest of your family. You don't start tapping your feet and act like you're going to die. You ate three hours ago. <laughs> you just play it cool, right? You clean up. You're kind to the waiter or waitress. You're engaged when she brings food up. You say these magic words, thank you. How neat would it be? How neat would it be if I called your boss, the one you work for, the one you can't stand, the one you want to invite to church, but you're always gossiping about him to other people. You think he doesn't hear, she doesn't hear. And I sat down with them and I said, hey, tell me what it's like to, 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 to have them as, a, as an employee, employee. Tell me what it's like to lead them. And they were like, I got, it's, it's incredible. They are so kind. They are so giving. They are so generous. They treat this business like it's, my, like it's their own. They're the first ones in, the last ones to leave. They're never mad. They never cause problems. Everybody wants to spend time talking to them because they actually care about people. How amazing would that be? Instead, sometimes I think I'm going to ask, I'll ask the boss, hey, how are they? They're a pain in the butt. They complain about everything. All they want to do is talk about politics as if that's where their salvation lies. All they want to do is talk about this agenda. All they want to do, they want to do this. They're really mean, and then they want to Bible thump me. You better make sure if you're sharing the truth of Christ that your lifestyle lives up to those beliefs. Because nobody cares what you have to say, even if it's true, if they know you don't care. What if we lived our life for the goal to make everything that we touch better? That's why years ago we started, we started community groups. Some of you... You've been to church before and you know churches have home groups and they have Sunday morning, they have youth group, they have kids, it's pretty, pretty standard mom's group, stuff like that. And then churches started to see there was a need for outreach. So because of the need, it started scheduling outreach, right? which I think is a mistake. I think if you have to schedule outreach once or twice or three times a year, that's like, that's like saying we have to schedule being, being invested into our relationship. We call that Valentine's Day, by the way. Once a year, cool. All right, we'll see you next February, right? That's not the point. The point is be invested in your spouse. Love them, care for them, write them notes, open up their door, even when it's not February. Treat them well, communicate with them, invest in them, right? So I just started thinking to myself, what if, what if we teach people everything we do is outreach? We don't got to go schedule it because that's what we do. What if instead of scheduling once a month, what if we built actual relationships because relationships are built over time and consistency? And so what if we, we partner with local organizations? So years ago, we said, listen, we're going to call local organizations. We're not going to ask for anything from them. We're not going to post this. We're not going to give big checks out, take pictures. Uh, we're, 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 we're not going to pat ourselves on the back. We're not going to do any of that. We're just going to go like, like ninjas. 
like church ninjas and serve them with no strings attached. You should have heard the conversations we had a decade ago. Hey, can we come to your place? Can we give you money? And can people come serve for free? What do you, what do you want? You're a church. What do you want? You're going to come in here and preach? No, no, no. We're just going to live for Christ. So we've done that. Some of you, you're in that spot in your life. I think all of us have time to say, you know what? I got an hour a week. You just get on our, our website, go to groups and community groups. Are, hey, just my ability, my opportunity to, to partner with an organization where I am just the hands and feet of Jesus. And go tutor, go, go pack backpacks for kids that are hungry, go work with men and women that are getting back on their feet through addiction at Good Samaritan Shelter, go work with somebody on a, a, a horse for, for therapeutic horse uh, time. Uh, we got all sorts of opportunities to be a part, food banks, just to be the church. You know what's so cool? You don't have to go in and tell people how much you love Jesus because they see it. They see it. They see your life. Let me just give you, let me just give you one more. And this one's, this one's important. This one's important. I want, I want people to come into contact with and us and know, know us for how uncomplicated and easy we are to be around. This one's important. Because church people are some of the most complicated people in the world. Always mad about something, always angry, always leaving, never feeling right, always having to tell you. Like we are, we is, it is one of the most difficult things in the world to say, hey, we're all just going to come to this room, be in a good mood, be saved by grace, be excited about life and go change the world. It's so complicated. And we, we are some of the most uneasy, complicated people in the world to be around. What if we just said, you know what, I'm going to be easy to be around. I'm going to be easy to be around. I'm going to be easy to be around at my work. I'm going to be easy to be around in my school. I'm going to be easy to be around when I go into a restaurant. I'm going to be easy to be around around my unsafe family members. I'm going to be easy and I'm going to be uncomplicated. You know why I like that word uncomplicated? Because I think Jesus was that. I think to be uncomplicated is to be consistent. The opposite of, of being consistent is what I would call being a toddler. Spiritual immaturity. You, ever, you remember having a toddler, you would put them to bed, they would be super peaceful. We had a rocker, I remember this glider. We would, we, would, we would glide our kids and sing to them and read them books and you put them in bed and they were perfect angels, it was so sweet. And then you go wake them up, their hair was all messed up and they would go to bed like an angel and they would wake up like a demon. You ever been there and you're like, what happened? Right? Or you give them food, they put them in their chair, you slide them, they want, they want food, they want certain, a certain snack, and you give it to them. By the time you give it to them, they're whacking it off. Sorry, I'm a jerk. I gave you what you asked for, right? And, and you have this toddler mentality where you're kind of up and down, 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 happy, miserable, kind, not kind, you know, loving, unloving. And nothing makes you look less like Jesus than that. In fact, Jesus is super complicated, or, or super uncomplicated. Watch what the Bible says in, in Hebrews 13. It says, Jesus Christ is what? Is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I just want people to say, your church is filled with some of the most consistently kind to others and good mood types of people. They're just easy to be around. Easy to be around. Uncomplicated. Loving. Make everything better. Grace filled with people that don't yet know Christ. And we take this serious. We, we take this serious. We're, we're a blessing. You break us open, and this is what you see. You're around us, and this is what you experience. Amen? This one's important. This is the one that changes the world. This is the one that makes an impact. This is the one that's significant. Your life is not your own. 
If you want your life to be your own, don't follow Christ. Because when you come to faith in Christ, you give him everything. The Bible says you become a steward. And a steward is just a manager of something that somebody else owns. We get that because we do that in our lives in other areas. But when it comes to our own life, we often mistake, even when we're following Christ, we say, this is mine. I represent myself. I do what I feel like doing. Oh, no, you don't. When you give your life to Christ, you die to yourself and you live for him. Bible says you pick up your cross and you follow him. Do me a favor, would you stand to your feet and would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And uh, I want to talk as we, we pray. We're going to leave. This is one of those ones you don't really pray about. You just go do it. You don't really, just not, you can pray and say, here I am, I'm going to do this. But you, you just go do it. You just go back into the world. And you become aware of your opportunity and you just go, I'm going to go make everything better this week. You can figure out an area of your life where you have not been doing that. Some of you working in somebody's home right now, you're a business owner and you do not leave it better than when you arrived. You leave a mess, really practically. I'm going to clean up. You don't show up on time. You're not a person of your word and you are leaving a negative taste in their mouth when it comes to Christ. You're just going to change that. Some of you are that parent I talked about. You're always complaining in school. Nobody ever does a good enough job for Bobby or Susie or Sally or Karen, whoever it is. And when you come, people go, man, I really don't want to teach them because I know how opinionated that are. Some of you need to write a note and apologize and thank those teachers. I don't think if we're, we're a teacher uh, teaching our kids that we realize how tough this year has been. Some of you are ultra opinionated with your boss. You're always gossiping. You're not easy to be around. You just need to go to your boss and say, I'm so sorry that I have not been grateful for the opportunity that you've given me. And I'm going to flip the script in this relationship and I'm going to show you what it looks like for my life to represent what Jesus has done in and through me. It's real simple. Some of you go out to eat and you are, if we just were honest, you're just a pain to wait on. Your kids are a pain to wait on. They make a mess. You don't clean it up. You just leave, somebody else cleans it up, and it is a burden when you got there, and that is not Jesus. So today you're going to go out to eat, and you're, when you leave, you're just all going to get together. You're going to say, Let's, we're going to clean this up. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna pick up this trash. We're going to stock these plates. We're going to leave this place better than when we got here. It's as simple as that. Some of you are, 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 are known for not pushing your cart back where it goes. You're that person. You're, you're known for not putting that thing back that you decided you didn't want. You take it from the back of the store and then you drop it off in the toilet paper of the store it's, and you don't even care. You let somebody else, and some of you are gonna be ridiculously convicted this week. And you're gonna take the walk of shame. You know what the walk of shame is? Back to the back of the store. I'm gonna drop it off. But you're gonna remember, I'm a blessing. I'm not a burden. I make everything that I touch better because that is the very nature of Jesus Christ. Represent him. Some of you here right now and you've been around people before uh, both of our, 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 our campuses and even online and you've been around people before that have misrepresented Christ to you. What you've come away thinking is uh, when you meet a Christian is there's certain things that I need to do um, to get God to love me and I can't ever do those things because I'm not good enough. Some of you, you hear what I call the voice of condemnation right now. And that voice of condemnation is just a constant reminder of the shameful things that you've done in your life. You hear it right now in your head. It's a voice telling you're not good enough to be here. You don't deserve God's love. You can never change. 
God can never use your life, the voice of condemnation, shame, right? Others of you, you are reminded right now of your past standing here and you, you, you're constantly reminded of the failures of your life. Others of you, you struggle right now with, when I talked about anxiety, I was talking about you. And you're filled with anxiety and you're filled with fear and you're filled with worry. And it's almost, it's almost paralyzing in your life. You don't, can't even look forward because you're, 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 so, you're so filled with anxiety right now in your current life. You don't feel good enough for, for, for God. You just don't. You don't feel like you should be here. I, I just want to tell you something. There's nothing different. I don't know about the person standing beside you, but I, I can talk about the person standing in front of you. There's nothing different between me and you. I just live my life in the grace of God. I fall, I fail, I mess up. I struggle with the voice of condemnation. I can start to worry and have anxiety in my life and have all those same emotions, but I have an anchor in my life, an anchor for my soul. I have peace that surpasses all understanding. I've experienced this joy and this hope, and it's not found in a book, and it's not found in a religion. It's found in a man. His name is Jesus. The name above all names. His name has brought me hope. His name brings me comfort. His name brings me joy. His name keeps me going. It's the name above all names, the name of Jesus. No other name by which men and women may be saved. So we're all here together, and maybe you, you can relate to what I'm saying. You go, man, I don't, I don't know Jesus. I don't have a relationship with him. I feel what you're feeling, though, condemnation and anxiety and and pain and some of you even even deeper just this deep level of anger and bitterness in your life bitterness is as a result of unforgiveness because of what somebody has done to you you're so bitter on how to get over it's jesus you invite jesus into your life the bible says you believe with your, your your heart and you confess with your mouth that you need jesus you give him your life an amazing moment you stop controlling and you stop holding and you stop being in charge and you stop directing and you allow Jesus to have your life some say what happens after that the best days of your life I don't know exactly where he takes you I don't know exactly what he does with you I don't know exactly what tomorrow looks like but I know who will be there his name's Jesus and he will walk with you he will guide you he will direct you he will communicate with you he will encourage you He'll never stop loving you. He's real right now. So with every head bowed and every eye closed all over our houses, you would say, hey, pastor, you're talking to me. I need a relationship with Jesus Christ right now. I need a relationship with Jesus Christ. If that's you all over our houses, if you're online, I'm going to ask people to do something physically right right now. But if you're online, when I ask you, you're not going to be able to physically do it. So I just want you to type in in the the comments to our moderator. They're going to let me know. Man, I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Just say, hey, that's that's me. But if you're physically here in Phoenixville, in Montgomeryville, and you say, man, I've never felt good enough for God. I've always felt like an outcast, but I can feel the spirit of the Lord. And he's drawing me to himself, but I need to say yes. I don't even fully understand it. But I know something's happening right now. And I want to invite Jesus to come into my life. Come on, I want to pray with you all over this house, front to back, side to side. If you would say that's me both here in Montgomeryville, don't worry about the person on each side of you. Don't worry about the person in front of you. This is between you and God. One step of 
ridiculous courage right now in your life. Come on, I need to follow Jesus Christ. I want to give him my life. Just without even thinking about it, would you just begin to shoot your hand straight towards heaven and say, the Spirit of the Lord is calling out to me. I see hand right here, hand right here, hand over here, yeah. Hand, hand, yeah, 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 yeah. Hand back here, yeah, another hand. Yep, yep. Come on, his hands continue to go up all over this place. I see you, brother. Anybody else say, hey, pastor, that's me. That's me, that's me, that's me. I love the boldness and the courage. That's where the Spirit of God begins to move in your life. He's about to do something right now. He's about to change you, set you free. That song says something's about to break. I love it because, listen, one hour with God can change everything. Amen? You can go to hours of therapy, an hour, read hours of self-help books, and hours of investment in your life, the personal story of you. And man, it's really hard to change. One moment with Jesus, the Bible says, is better than a thousands elsewhere. Something's breaking. Something's changing. Something's being set free. Come on, church. Let's begin to pray all over these houses. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for what you're about to do. We thank you, Lord, that you are changing somebody forever. That, that, that hand in the air, that unashamed hand, that's a response to the gospel. Jesus, come into my life. Set me free. Forgive me. Be with me. I love you. I want a relationship with you. Lord, as they're inviting you into their life, Lord, something is changing. Something is shifting. Lord, a mind is being renewed. A heart is being healed. Lord, even what they see in their life, the vision for their future is changing. It's filled with hope and freedom and forgiveness. And Lord, we're grateful for all that. We're grateful for what you continue to do when we leave this place. Lord, we leave this place understanding that our life is on full display for this world. And when you break us open, let it not be shallow and empty religion. Let us be filled with grace and mercy and hope and love and kindness. Let us represent you in everything we think, say, and do. In Jesus' name we pray. One more time, Journey Church. Let's shout amen together. Let's clap really loud for that person online. Come on. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, Visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.